It's Wednesday night, and we are studying the life of Peter. Now, Peter was the, some would say he was Jesus' pet. Well, he seemed to be the leader of the eleven. Nobody was leading Judas uh, except Satan. And he seemed to be uh, always there, sometimes putting his foot in his mouth, uh, arguing with Jesus, Jesus correcting him, calling Peter Satan, saying, get thee behind me, Satan, when Peter contradicted him, and when Jesus said, i got to go to Jerusalem, I, they've got to uh, crucify me, and I'll resurrect the third day. And Peter said, not so, Lord, be it far from thee. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. And when he said Satan, the word Satan is Satanas, S-A-T-A-N-A-S, in the in the Greek New Testament. Satanas means adversary. Don't mean he was actually Satan, but he was the adversary. He said, this has to happen. I have to be crucified and resurrected again. Now, where we are, we're in Acts, the second chapter. We've gone through the tongues. Uh, in Acts, the second chapter is the uh, Pentecost, the day of Pentecost. And that comes 50 days after the Passover. And Passover is in Nisan. It's actually the Passover day is Nisan 14. Now you had several things called the Passover. You had uh, the day, Nisan 14. You had the week, was called the festival of the Passover. And you had the lamb. The lamb was called the Passover. When the Bible says that it came time to kill the Passover, it didn't mean they were going to kill the week. It didn't mean they were going to kill uh, the 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 Nisan 19, it meant they were going to kill the lamb. That's what the Bible says. There, You can see it several times, but you look at Luke 14. In Luke 14, I don't know why these guys, and they're trying to make this, they're trying to make all of this, not 14, 22. Luke 22. Now, Look at verse 1. The Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And the feast was for seven days, and it was called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or the Feast of the Passover. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill Jesus, for they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas Iscariot, surname Iscariot, being a number of the twelve, and he went his way, and commanded with the, communed with the chief priests and captains how he might be, they might betray him, and they were glad and coveted and gave him money, and sought opportunity to betray him, to betray Jesus, unto them in the absence of the multitude. Then came the day, 
Nisan 14, of unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. Now, how plain is that? That's why I keep saying they were not eating crackers and drinking grape juice. This Passover thing, I want to get back to that, but right now let's go back over here to Acts, the second chapter. Jesus had been resurrected 50 days before this, 50 days. They were at Pentecost, and they were all speaking with Glossa and Dialectos. I'm not going to go through all this. I've got this all on. I do not believe in Pentecostal tongues. In fact, I believe that the Pentecostal movement in the world most people don't know the charismatics are Pentecostals, and they all most of them believe in speaking in tongues and faith healing, and the list goes on and on. And I don't believe I believe that is an excitement in the in the Protestant Church that is one of the most corrupt things that's ever happened to the church. There's no such thing as faith healing. There's no such thing as Pentecostal tongues. You got these two words, glossa means foreign language, foreign language, and dialectos, they had a different dialect of what they call the koine. Now, I'm going to get to that word, koine. They had a different dialect, and the koine, the word is common. I got a bug flying around up here. Uh, the word is common. They had a common street language that was a dialect in every city-state of the world in the first century. Where did the dialects come from? It was Alexander the Great before the Roman Empire that gave all the world its culture, its language, its idioms, its metaphors, and he gave all the world its Greek dialects in Koine. He didn't do that personally. All of his teachers did that. Uh, Greece was the center of education of all of the educators of the world back at that time. And they were out here teaching all the world these languages. The whole purpose of that, I'll just make this short. The whole purpose of the dialects, them being given these dialects, was get the gospel to the Gentiles. The Gentiles was the all flesh. The Gentiles was red, yellow, white, black, and brown flesh. In the Old Testament, one flesh got the truth. One flesh started with Adam, goes down to Noah, then his son Shem. You get the word Semitic from that. All the way down to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. He's got 12 sons that become the nation. And only Israel in the Old Testament, once in a while God would make an exception and cause a, a Gentile to be a believer. But up until Acts 2, the Gentiles, God had not poured out his truth, which is his spirit, on all flesh or all men. I'm going to say this again because people need to know this. The Jews had a word called synecdoche. When the Bible says God would have all men be saved or all flesh, all flesh will be saved. 
because only one flesh was saved over here, one flesh, the Jewish flesh from Shem, or the Semitic flesh, and all flesh now as of Acts 2. The whole purpose of those, that gift of the dialects, those people that were there were Jews from every nation under heaven. They were from all over the world. That's where they'd been scattered because when they were a nation for 510 years under kings, from First Samuel to Second Chronicles, they kept going after the sun and tree gods, which is the same thing as brought in the church and renamed the Christ Mass. Now, that's just kind of a summary. And so they couldn't understand each other when they were scattered. They had three festivals they all had to come back to, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Ingathering, which was the same thing as the Feast of Huts, or the same thing as the Feast of Tabernacles. In that same month, Tishri, Tishri, September, October, the end of the harvest, very significant, the end of the harvest, they had their Dev Atonement. The tenth day of the seventh month. Seventh month was Tishri. So the tenth day of that seventh month, all this consummated. And these Jews had been scattered, and they had been... The God gave them a law in Exodus, the 23rd chapter, that all the males had to come back to Israel. So while they were scattered, they're coming back. They could never understand each other. So when they get here, God's going to send these apostles out all over the world. He told them to come here until the Holy Spirit's come upon you. He told them that when he gave them their, their great commandment to go into all the world in 28th chapter of Matthew and when he does that, they didn't know how they could do that, but it'll be this miracle. Since they're a bunch of country uh, farmers and shepherds and and uh, mark men that work in the market and fish fishermen, they had to go into all the world with this ability in the dialects and glossa in order to get the message of truth to the Gentiles. Now... Peter's standing here at Pentecost, and they say, How hear we ever man our own tongue, our own dialect, wherein we were born? The kids, wherein we were born. They're hearing. You say, Jim, that's a lot. You've gone through that. Can you explain it to me? Can I make it easy for you where you can just explain it? This is the map that comes out of the compendia, and they all these arrows all pointing to... Jerusalem to come to these festivals right here. But when they leave, they're going to go back to their homelands. Remember, they were scattered because they went after the sun and the tree god. It's the same things that was called Christmas. Y'all understand that, don't you? That's not hard. Gosh, you understand it, and these preachers out here don't even know it. So they're all going back home and take the gospel to the Gentiles, to the all flesh. Now, everything Peter's saying here, he doesn't start preaching. It kind of describes for the first half of this about the tongues. Then it gets on down here, and I'm going to start reading in verse 14. Peter's standing up with the 11. With the 11, he makes 12, right? And Matthias has been 
uh, chosen to take Judas's place in the previous chapter. Lifted up his voice and said, I've repeated this already, but said and the word utterance down in verse 4 is the same word. Peter did not say, Didn't say that. Like you hear in a, in a Pentecostal church. Y'all have heard the Pentecostals, haven't you? Have you heard Pentecostals speak in tongues? You don't know what you're missing. <laughs> it is scary. It's scary. Because it's not true. It's just a bunch of hogwash. People say, you're blaspheming God. No, you're blaspheming God because you refuse the truth. They lifted up his voice and said unto them, here's what he said, you men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, for this, be this known unto you, hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. The daylight day began at 6 in the morning, so it's 9 o'clock in the morning. No Jew, not even their drunks, got drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. So the last days are here, right here, aren't they? If this is going to come to pass in the last days, and Joel's, these are the words of Joel, <coughs> then in the last days this will happen. I will pour out of my spirit. Now, what is the spirit? Truth. That's John fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, John fifteen, twenty six, John sixteen, thirteen, first John five and six. The spirit is the truth. John seventeen, seventeen. Thy word is truth. I'm going to give my word to all the world now. And there's an elect family out there that's going to believe. I will pour of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. The word vision means insight. It don't mean ever. I got a vision up here. I have people call me and say, "I've had visions. I've had dreams." This is not talking about what you're talking about. In the old in the Old Testament times, prophets would have dreams, and God would bring His truth to them that way. But He's not doing that today. These were men that had the gifts of an apostle, according to Second Corinthians twelve twelve. We don't have those things today. And, you're, and then when he says, "Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams," and on my servants and handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit. That's significant because God never gave in the Old Testament His truth. To a bunch of young men. He gave them to old seasoned prophets. Once in a while, an elder woman like Deborah. And I will show wonders in the heaven and signs in the earth beneath and blood and fire and vapor of smoke in these last days. This is all very figurative language. You remember one of the words proud, tufao? Men who know nothing and they're proud. T-U-P-H-O-O. It means conceited. To be slowly consumed by smoke. Smoke with no fire. No fire 
This is all very figurative language. No fire. Remember, adokimas is the word reprobate. Reprobate. And Paul said, if I don't bring my body into subjection, dulagogeo, D-O-U-L-O-A-G-E-O. It comes from doulos, And I go, it means to leave myself into slavery to God. Then I'm a reprobate. He called it a castaway, same word, castaway. And that's a dokimas. And dokimazo or dokimas means to go through fire and trials. The alpha in front of that, alpha privative, negates the word and means no Fire. That's people who don't want any fiery trials in their life. And they're not going to do anything to get them. Then he goes on to say, The sun shall be turned into darkness. Well, I could talk about this for an hour. Uh, sun turned to darkness is not talking about the sun is going to get black. Don't mean that. The sun is never going to go out. It's got uh, five billion years left to burn. And I've been real concerned about that lately. Haven't you? <laughs> it's They say it'll burn out in five billion years. Well, the sun is never actually going to turn dark. What does it mean when the sun turns, sun turns dark and the moon into blood? To turn into blood, you can look in McClinican Strong under blood. To turn or to become blood, to turn to blood and you've got this several places in scripture one place it says the sun will not give will not give her light and that is idiomatic because the bible says in Micah the third chapter that because of the apostasy of Israel that the sun will go down on the prophets and there'll be no more vision for the prophets in other words God's going to cause the prophets to stop prophesying in the Old Testament because they went after all that Baal and Grove worship so turn to blood and the sun not giving her light what happens if the sun doesn't give her light huh it's dark but what happens here? The moon dies, doesn't it? It doesn't mean it's literally a heavenly uh, something that happens, uh, a magnificent happening. It's simply saying that when at the end of time there's going to be a lack of truth and there's going to be a darkness in the world, and in that sense the moon will not be shining. In other words, if you have pitch darkness, that's when, when you have pitch darkness, that's when it's dangerous to be outside. That's when the moon is overcast or something like that. Now, I'm not going to go into that. You can read that about fifth, six verses of the Mark of the third chapter. I've gone through that before. Then it shall come to pass... 
This was never spoken before in the New Testament. It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is not the method of salvation. Whosoever is not in the text, it says the pos, all. The all. All of the elect of God, the is the is feminine gender. All is feminine gender. Excuse me. Yeah, feminine gender. And the all means all of the elect, all of the sheep, all of the wife, all of God's people that he has chosen before the foundation of the world. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Now, let me remind you something. Peter's preaching, right? He's preaching and it's going into the ears of these people in their dialect where they come from. So he's still preaching and the tongues are going to their ears right here. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God. Not going to go through a lot of these. Apodignomy, that God made a show of him, approved of God, among you by miracles. The word is dunamis. D-U-N-A-M-I-S. It's one of the words for power. You got the other word, which is exousia. These are the two common words for power in the New Testament Greek. Dunamis, the Bible says, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The gospel, for it is the power, the dunamis of God. So dunamis and power are interchangeable. It is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the dunamis. Exousia is the word, comes from the word existi, E-X-E-S-T-I. Existi means existence, and the base word is E-X-X-O-N. We used to go on a station, a service station, and get a tiger in your tank, when you put power in your gas tank. And from that word, we get the word E-I-N-A-I. It means to be or to exist. And I gave you all the being verbs. The am is a part of, is a form of a being verb. When Jesus said, I am, he said, I exist by my own power. So, let's go back to this. I've got some places to go. All right. Approved of God among you by miracles, dunamis, and wonders, teros, prodigies, an omen, and signs, simiao. We get the word simeon from that. Simeon means a sign, a beacon. It means a flag. Actually, it means a pointer. So God is pointing to things. He, we already studied that the Pharisees came seeking a sign there in Matthew 16. 
The Pharisees seeking a sign, and Jesus tells them, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Talking about the Pharisees. Why did he call them adulterous? Because they were the rabbis of the old synagogue. They had corrupted the word of God with their halakha. And they were the ones that were in head of Israel when they went after all these tree and sun gods. And they were carried over to Babylon. And they had never repented. So they were adulterous. Spiritual adultery. What they were involved in. And he said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. They were adulterers. God always called the gods that Israel served. He called that spiritual adultery. So, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, Matthew 16. They'll no sign be given them but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And that is that he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then he was resurrected. I'm not going to go through three days and three nights again. Not right now. He wasn't in there three full days. They said a part was the whole. I put synecdoche up here somewhere. And synecdoche means a part is a whole. A part of red, yellow, white, black, and brown men are, are the whole. And a part of these three days and three nights was the whole. He got in the tomb before sundown on Friday, and he rose after sundown, or actually Sunday morning, so he's in there about one and a half days. But they had to count all the way back to the previous day if he was in there a part of the day. I'm not going to go through that. I'll go through that later. Now, and then it, and God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Peter's still preaching in these dialects, and they're hearing it in their dialect. Him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate horizo. Horizo, this is a diacritical mark, has a breathing sound, H. Horizo. It's our word, horizon. Him being delivered by the... Christ's deliverance was to take us to the light and take him to the light. Well, he was the light, but it was to reveal the light to the Gentiles. And by the way, this is an aorist indicative verb. I want you to understand something. If something's an aorist indicative it's always past tense past tense is something that happened in the past so being past tense you can put the word pro pro is our word pre prohorizo is the word predestinate can you see that Pre is our word pro. Is Pro is our word pre. So Jesus was delivered by the predestinated counsel of God. Anytime you need to learn to look these things up, first of all, you've got to get the exact spelling 
out of an interlinear Bible, get the you you can trust the interlinear Bible. Sometimes you can't trust uh, Mr. Strong. I find errors from time to time with Mr. Strong. But you can look up the word in here exactly how it's spelled. And you have to learn your Greek. You learn the Greek alphabet. And when you learn that, you can get a analytical lexicon. I got one up here somewhere. Here it is. And this is an analytical lexicon. I got two or three of them at home. This is at Harper's. They're all the same. They got the same words in them. Just get an analytical lexicon. Look it up. And it'll tell you what the tense of the verb is, whether it's a noun or pronoun or a participle. And along the way, I'll be helping you to learn what those are. Now, Jesus being delivered by the determinate boule. When Jesus went to the cross, this is God's counsel purpose. It was the determinate predestined purpose of God that Jesus went to the cross. He's the one that went there. And we'll hit that again over in Acts 4.28. Now, let's keep reading. And foreknowledge of God. It was the, it was the predestined purpose and foreknowledge, prognoscus, a prognosis, P-R-O-G-N-O-S-I-S. Prognosis. The word gnosko is a form of this word gnosis. This is the word knowledge. God knew ahead of time. And the reason he had the foreknowledge of all things because he planned it all. It's not like he was saying, I sure hope this comes about. If he plans it, it's going to happen. He planned everything. Now let's keep reading. And this is Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost. He's going to be preaching. We're going to be into Pentecost all through this next chapter. You don't leave Pentecost till later. You even get to Ananias and Sapphira over in chapter 5, and he's still at the Pentecost time. Uh, You stay at Pentecost for several chapters there. So anything that happens is at Pentecost. Now, now what did we say the tongues did? Peter's preaching in tongues, isn't he? Isn't that what he's doing? He's preaching in glossa, in dialects, dialects of the corne. And then the Bible says that tongues, let me make it simple. In the 14th chapter of our Glossa, first, 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 14. I don't know anybody else that even understands this. I don't know if y'all understand. Please forgive me. I don't mean this in a boast. I've never read anybody in America that understands what I'm giving you. Nobody. I've heard them talk about the glossolalia and the churches and the and uh, preachers will try to talk around the tongues because they don't know what it means. Brilliant minds, brilliant people on the radio, 
supposed to be brilliant, but I don't consider them brilliant. So, tongues are for a sign. This is what I want you to see. This is what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 14. Tongues are for a sign. Not to them that believe. Even the guys at Pentecost, it wasn't for them, they were believers. But tongues are for a sign to them that believe not. Now, what is the only sign that Jesus says is to those Pharisees? The sign of Jonah. Resurrection. The only sign. There's no more signs that God gave to Israel. He gave them... He gave them... uh, water out of a rock. He gave them bread from heaven every morning, manna. Had to cover thousands of acres. They were estimated maybe three million people walking around in the desert with no food and no water. And there were they had a cloud by day and a fire by night. Whenever the cloud moved, the the Korthites, they had to get everything ready and go. And that was their job. That was one of the sons of Levi. And uh, they had, their shoes didn't wear out. Their feet didn't swell up. In 125 and 30 degrees and your feet don't swell up, how's that for a miracle? And the Lord tells the Pharisees, you get no sign, no more, except the resurrection. I'm put too many S's in there. So if the tongues were for a sign to them that believe not, then when the tongues are being used, the resurrection has to be preached, doesn't it? That's what Peter's fixing to say right here in the second chapter of Acts. He's fixing to tell them about the resurrection. And he's speaking in dialects, in glossa. I don't know what the... The glossa was foreign languages. They had many foreign languages in the world. Had lots of dialects. People say, why aren't they speaking in Hebrew? The Hebrew wasn't used. The Pharisees, when they were the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue, made the Hebrew language kind of a holy type language. It was only used by the Pharisees and the scribes when they'd go to the temple. And they had to have a methurgyman. M-E-T-H-U-R-G-E-M-A-N. An interpreter. The same way, the same way they, they said they couldn't buy the sacrifices at the temple with Greek money. They had to buy it with Hebrew money. And who's in charge of that? The Pharisees making up the Hebrew money. And so they gave them an exchange rate. 
excessive interest on this exchange rate. I've gone into Canada, and I've told you this before, but when you drive into Canada, you better kind of figure out how much money you want to get the exchange rate, and they're going to charge you for that. Or what they were doing was charging an excessive rate so these people could exchange it to Hebrew money, and they could buy these lambs over here. Nothing wrong with selling a lamb in the temple. Everybody had to have one. Everybody. Hundreds of thousands of people buying lambs had to have a lot, have a lot of lambs. And they had to have the right money. And they had to speak the right language. But that was the Hebrew and it had been kind of turned into a holy language by the Pharisees. Everybody else out in the streets was speaking the corne and the glosses. Everywhere. But none of them understood each other. And the, and the uh, compendium says there were probably at least 12 million people there at that Pentecost. Can you imagine a little bitty tiny town like Jerusalem in the first century with 12 million people in it? They were just shoulder to shoulder. That's how Jesus would get away from them. When they come after him to kill him because he said, "I before Abraham was, I am, they took up stones to kill him. All they had to do was take a step. And he was in the crowd, and they couldn't find him. At, even when he got lost from his mom and dad, and he was 12 years old, he was in the crowd. And they didn't know he'd gone till some while later, and then they went back to find the Pharisees where he was teaching them. And they said, Son, you've warned us, and they, don't you know that? And he said, Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? He's not talking about your business, Joseph. My father. Now, and it's because there was a crowd there. Now, let's. Now, what he's going to do here is preach the gospel in tongues. That's what they were for—to get the gospel out to these people, so they went back home, and they could take it to the Gentile world, to all flesh or all men. Now, he says, speaking of Jesus, whom God hath raised up. Having loosed the pains of death. That's the gospel, isn't it? Resurrection is the gospel according to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And the gospel is, gosh, let me, let me do it like this. All this fits together like a mathematical equation, just like algebra. Fits together. All right. Let me see if I can put it up on the board right. Let me go ahead and just erase all this. All right. The gospel is the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Gospel's the resurrection. Oops, I left a piece up here. Gospel. Equals resurrection. Equals only sign. To unbeliever. And the gospel... In Mark, the first chapter, 
the gospel equals the beginning of the gospel, the Bible says, is prepare you the way. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Now, this is the gospel. The Bible says this in Mark, the first chapter, first three verses. Is prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. That's what John came preaching. Prepare you the way. The word way is hodos. And the is a definite article. There are no indefinite articles in the Greek. It means there is only one way, and it's the gospel. Well, the Bible says that straight is the gate. So this is also the gospel. Gospel equals straight is the gate and narrow is the way. That's Matthew seven, thirteen, fourteen. Narrow is the way that leads to life. So this is the gospel according to Mark the first chapter, which is prepare you the way. And Straight is the gate and narrow is the way. The word narrow is the hodos. And there's only one way. And Jesus said, I am that way. I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. And no man's going to come to the Father but by me. You can't get into heaven without Jesus. And he, if you believe Jesus, a guy called me the other day, said something about, well, it depends on how you believe Jesus. I said, no, it doesn't. You believe what he said. If he said strive, well, if somebody else says strive means something to them, it may not mean the same. I said, there's, there's an exact word for strive. It's the word agonizomai. It's our word agonize. He said, yeah, but you may agonize a different way than somebody else. I said, you can't agonize a different way. Ag- the agonize... Is the agon. I said the agon was the arena at Rome where they put the people in there to the lions and the bears and put them in there, the gladiators, and they killed them. That's the narrow way. People want to talk their way out of the narrow way. Well, I'm in the narrow way. I tell people I'm a Christian. I go to the big Baptist church and I got baptized. Well, that's not the narrow way. Tell them Christmas is pagan. Tell them Easter is paganism. I heard... John MacArthur preaching the other day on the radio. I listened to him, although I sat over in your driveway to listen to the rest of his message. He talked all through the message how we have to go through tribulation, how we have to suffer for righteousness' sake. Went through all of that, but he didn't tell you what you had to say to suffer. What I mean is be specific. You have to tell people that baptism is blood, not water. You have to tell them we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God, and that is the narrow way. Narrow is the word thalibo, T-H-L-I-B-O. And that's the verb form of the noun thalipsis. And thalipsis 
is the word tribulation. Tell somebody that Paul was stoned and left for dead outside of Lystra, and he made these words when he got up on his feet. He said, we must through much tribulation after people trying to kill me, enter the kingdom of God. Tell people what... You can't just come up and say, well, we must through tribulation enter the kingdom of God. Tell them why. Tell them for telling the truth. I said this to a lady the other day. I said... The Bible says, she stopped me at a store the other day. I said, the Bible says, we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. I said, that's after Paul was stoned and left for dead. People got to hate you enough and want to kill you. If they don't kill you, they're going to want to. They have to hate you that bad. Because that's how bad they hated him. They hated Jesus. Jesus said, if they hated me, if the world hated me, it will hate you. But they won't hate you for saying, well, you've got to go through tribulation. You've got to suffer for Christ. What? For saying what? Doing what? Be specific. You understand what I'm saying? Have you noticed how you can say something to somebody and they'll just over their head and along the way? But I always find a way to say, did you know that it was against the law to celebrate Christmas 300 years ago in America? I've said that so many times. I said it the other day. I can't even remember people I say it to. Because I know that'll shock them. And when you tell them that, they, they don't know what to do. And then I start telling about the Albigans family and the Waldens family and all of these families in Europe that were slaughtered by the Roman Catholic Church over 700 years. And they killed 60 million people. So they outlawed Christmas when they come to America. And here we are celebrating it. Tell people that and be emphatic and find out if you get persecuted. Promise you, you will. But MacArthur was just telling everybody, you got to suffer and you got to go through tribulation. And he told all the English words, but he didn't say for saying what. I get, I, I stay depressed around the clock i've told people i'm really depressed you shouldn't be depressed you're a christian you said no 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 that's phony i've even said that to him that's phony if you find out what the truth is about predestination in christmas the world is going to put you in the narrow way and they're going to look at you like like you got two heads they are not going to like it. You've got to be specific about what you believe. Say, I believe in the truth. That's not enough. What's the truth? Taking the cover off. Our, our English language just doesn't do it. That's why I get up depressed every day. I think I'm in good company. Paul said I was pressed out of measure. I despaired of life. Aporiomize, that word despaired of life, it means I felt like I had no way out. I feel that way nearly every day. If I just shut my mouth and go out here and be nice to everybody, but I don't even like that kind of fellowship. Boy, that's a word I want to talk about here if we can get to it. Now, let's read on. God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, verse 24, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, and that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice, 
and my tongue was glad. More also my flesh shall rest in hope because, here's why, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one Jesus while he's in the tomb to see corruption. Corruption was called rigor mortis. That's what we call it. Rigor. Mortis. It takes only a few hours for the body to start getting stiff after you've been killed. I like to watch the ID channel. I was on watching it last night. And this person was killed and her son went in and he said, I noticed that they were already starting to stiffen up. The Bible says Jesus, when he was in the tomb, rigor mortis would never set in. Now, because that will not leave my soul in hell. That is quoted out by David out of Psalm 16. Let's look at Psalm 16. Psalms, the 16th chapter. Psalm 16. This doesn't stand alone. It's been quoted already. Psalm 16. David is talking. I've told you this before. This is the superscription is above, written above. This is Mitchum of David. Now, the person that writes the title up there, Mitchum of David, I don't know who Mitchum is. I haven't studied him out. You can't study everybody in this. It's hard to find them all. And it says, David, in distrust of merit, flees to God for preservation. He shows the hope of his calling of the resurrection and life everlasting. So David is talking about himself here. Let's read on down here in verse 5. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Now drinking of a cup was an ordeal. Thou maintainest my lot. God certainly maintained the lot of David when Saul was trying to kill him. A lot was a portion that was measured out to you and the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places yea i have a goodly heritage i will bless the lord who hath given me counsel my reins my kilia k-i-l-y-a-h my mind the interior self of me i have my reins shall instruct me my heart is what he's saying will instruct me in the night seasons, that's when times are dark and seem to be tough. And we've been studying about that on Sunday morning. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be moved. This had to be after he'd committed a murder and adultery and he's putting his trust in God because he was pretty young before he committed murder and adultery. He thought he was stronger than he actually was. Nobody's as strong as they think they are. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer 
thine holy one to see corruption. Now remember we said hell. That word hell in the Old Testament is the word Sheol. So that would be the word translated Hades in the New Testament. Hades. Hades has a meaning. Now, when I was a little kid and my father, would, he was an independent Baptist preacher, and when somebody would say Hades, they'd say it's not Hades, it's H-E-L-L, hell. <laughs> that just shows the ignorance of people. Lord, it's Hades. The Alpha Privative, A-D-E-S. It's translated from Ido, means to the place of the scene, and placing the Alpha. I don't place these Alphas. They're in the text. Whenever I say placing the Alpha in front of this word and against the word, I don't place them there. They're in the original text. Placing the operative in front of Ido means unseen. Now let me put it on the board again. Here's how the Jews defined hell or Sheol. They said there was a compartment. These are the unrighteous. And this is the righteous over here. And they say that everybody went to Hades or went to the place of the unseen. This is Jewish thought. It's not my thought. I've got this in a dozen books. Got it in a, you can get it out of Hastings Encyclopedia of Religion. You can get it out of the Jewish Encyclopedias, Isidore Singers, uh, Judaica. And you can get it out of Lightfoot's Talmud and Hebraica series that they had an unrighteous body in a tomb. And then they had an unrighteous soul in wherever the place of fire is in Luke 14, uh, Luke 16, rich man in hell lifted up his eyes being in torments so you can't see either one of these this is the way the Jews said it place of the unseen and you had this is actually the way Hades translates I was raised around a bunch of redneck preachers <laughs> redneck they got that from Billy Sunday Billy Sunday was an early preacher, the most famous Baptist preacher in the world in about 1908, 1910. He was a retired baseball player, and he went out on a... My father, I believe, was trying to be Billy Sunday because my father raised chairs up. Billy Sunday would raise a chair up and say, It's not Hades, it's H-E-L-L, hell! Billy Sunday was ignorant, but he was real famous. He was long before Billy Graham. And they had a place for the unseen righteous in the tomb and a place with the Lord for the righteous. So this is actually the way they described Hades. 
Now, I know people say, I never heard that before. Well, that's too bad. You're hearing it now. <laughs> Just thought I'd say that. All right. Now, that will not leave my soul. And David is talking about himself. He said, I won't be corrupt. I'll have a new body. God's going to give me a new body. Now, let's keep reading. What is he preaching about here in dialects? The resurrection, isn't he? And this is the only sign of the unbeliever. Thou hast made known unto me the ways of life. Thou will make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that is both dead and buried. He's still in the grave. And his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. Jesus is the king of the Jews. But he was the king of the Jews in the Old Testament. The Bible says that in Hebrews and Hosea, the 13th chapter, he was their king. In fact, the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, get something on the mind I can't get it out the 12th chapter of 1 Samuel says you desire the king to be over you when God was your king well who is God who is God the king Jesus he's saying this before spake of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in the grave neither his flesh did see corruption rigor mortis and Jesus hath God raised up Whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, this entire section is here is on the resurrection as he's speaking in the dialects to those people in the glossa to them. That's what the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians is talking about. Only, the only sign of the unbeliever is the resurrection, but it's more than the resurrection here. It's the resurrection in us. Every time you see the word resurrection... Anastasis, it's feminine gender. Every time you see resurrection, it never speaks of Christ going through a resurrection. It says speaks of Christ being raised. Resurrection being feminine gender means the resurrection of the church. The wife, the bride of Christ, the bride. Now, let's keep reading here. Most people don't even know what this chapter is about. They get a hold of it, some Pentecostals, and get wild and crazy. They even know, don't even know it's about Peter speaking in glossa and dialects, and all these people are going to go back all over the world and take this back to the Gentiles or the all flesh. That's... It's a real simple story when you know what it means. Now, and seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. That's feminine gender. That his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, wherever we all are witnesses. Wherefore, now remember there's two witnesses to every law of God. And I don't have time to go into that. Therefore being by the right hand of God exalted. What does that mean? 
the right hand of a king was where the prince would sit waiting to be anointed king. But the Bible says no man has seen God at any time. That's in the first chapter of John. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What he means, you've seen the Father's works in me. We've seen Jesus and he's God, but we have never seen God the Father. To sit at the right hand was figurative language to tell the people Christ will be the king. If God is a spirit, and he is, or God the Father, and no man has ever seen him, then to be at the right hand means to sit waiting to be crowned king. That's very idiomatic. Now, therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth echo. Same word earlier in this chapter that's going to pour out of his spirit on all flesh. Echo. It means to gush out. In the Old Testament, there would be a prophet, a prophet, and it was like a trickling down to the leaders of Israel, to the king and the priest. King and the priest. It would come from him and go down. But the Bible says it, that in the last days, all these young men will be preaching. And it's firstly a reference to the apostles because they were young men. Now let's keep reading. I don't know if anybody even understands this chapter. Never heard a Pentecostal, never heard a Baptist, never heard anybody that actually understands what it's saying. Because he's speaking, in, he's, he's preaching here. He's preaching in dialects and glossa. I don't know how he switched it out. I don't know how God did that. They said, how are we hearing every man in our own dialect wherein we were born? In our nation where we were born, we're hearing. The, the importance of that is as they would go back home, this man here from Berenice or Cyrene, coming back here and they're speaking their dialect, they, these, the Gentiles are over here, they'd be preaching to him, and he'd be preaching what he heard Peter preach over here in Israel, and this guy would be preaching up here at Corinth, and it's up here, and they're all preaching some different dialect, but that's what they heard in their ear. And God had to do that because they were all a bunch of ignorant fishermen, the, the eleven were. They were not educated men. Paul was the only educated and possibly Judas. Because Judas' father was a Pharisee named Simon. So Judas was a Pharisee, technically. Just like Paul's father was a Pharisee, and Paul was one technically. That was an office you would inherit if your father was one. Now, therefore let all the house of Israel, well, let me go back up here a little, to verse... 34, David is not ascended into heaven, but he saith unto himself, Lord, sit unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. There's a time, the last foe of God, what does the Bible say it is? Death. Death is the last enemy of God, and that will happen at the last trump when our bodies will be changed. I don't have time to go there. 
Therefore let us let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ. And he's already made him Lord in Christ and he's already risen from the dead and you think somebody stole his body over there in Jerusalem. He wouldn't. He rose from the dead. That's the gospel. That's the baptism of repentance. John came preaching the baptism of repentance, which was prepared the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The baptism of repentance is the gospel. The gospel. And everything else we said was the gospel. The resurrection. The resurrection. The tongues is the method of getting it out to the Gentiles. The narrow way, the gospel is the narrow way because the gospel was prepared the way of the Lord. And the baptism of repentance according to Luke 3 and 3, John came preaching the baptism of repentance. He did not preach the baptism of water. He preached the baptism of repentance. When he preached, when he baptized in water, that was proselyte baptism, but he didn't preach that. This is what he preached, the baptism of repentance. And the Bible says, which was, prepare the way of the Lord. I can't even write. Prepare the way, make straight his past. Make straight means John came preaching the baptism of repentance as it was written in the prophets. That's in Isaiah the 40th chapter. Here's the way Isaiah puts it. Prepare the highway in the desert for the Lord. Make straight a highway in the desert for the Lord. Isaiah is talking about that when Israel is going into captivity. He's saying, when you come home out of this captivity, they had to build highways. There wasn't natural highways everywhere. That's why when uh, when uh, I started to say something, forgot what it was. Oh, when Rome built the Appian Way, which was a highway leading into Rome, they had to build these highways because when you were in Israel, you'd go out on the highway and all these people had to come back to Passover, Pentecost, and the Day of Ingathering, which was coupled with the Day of Atonement and so forth. They had to, Israel had to go out on the roads. They weren't roads. They weren't what we call roads. They had rained, and and those people were very poor and lived in little areas. They didn't travel around Europe and say, let's go on a vacation in Europe. <laughs> they didn't go nowhere. Sat right there at home, and those highways, when they would come time, they had to repair the highways, go out there and repair them. When they were over here in Babylon, and those decrees were given to them, to go back to Israel, here they are. Isaiah is saying, Southern Judah, you're, you're going to be over here in in what we call Iraq. It was Babylon. 
northern Israel is going to be over here in Iran, which was Assyria, and you're going to have to build highways to go back to Israel. And that's what the Bible says. So the baptism of repentance, you had to be willing to go back and build the temple of God, which temple we are. And that takes a lot of baptism. That was a blood baptism. So the road home from Babylon that Isaiah's talking about and from Syria was building a literal highway back there. Prepare your highway and make his path straight. What that means, that has to do with humble. Humble. Every mountain will be brought low and every hole will be filled up. That meant make a highway. Humble means to level. It's the word tapinoab, T-A-P-E-I-N-O-O. Level mountains and hills. This is the highway of the Lord, mountains and hills. If they're out here and they're rebuilding highways from what we call Iraq down to Israel, they have to go out there and holes they have to fill up. Little, some rock that's been, it's rained and it's washed all around it. They got to remove that rock. They got to fill up these holes and make a straight highway for the Lord. That's talking about Israel being over there in Babylon, over here. I'm talking about northern Israel being in Assyria. You got to make a highway for the Lord. That was the baptism of repentance and that's what John came preaching it's not as hard as it sounds you realize how simple some of this is if you know the definitions now now when they heard this who all the people there at Pentecost here's their response when they heard this Peter stops preaching right here And they ask him a question, and he answers them. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter, This is the people. This is the 3,000. There were 3,000 saved that day, and we'll see that. 3,000 believers. But the compendium says there were probably 12 million people there. They had tents everywhere outside Jerusalem, as far as you could see. Well, let me see. What would that be? 3,000. 3,000, 12 millions. So let's just see here what that would be. Three into 12, it would be one. Three into three to go one. One four thousandth. One out of every four thousand people would come to truth. That ain't many, is it? That's what you call few. Mm. See, people say, there's three thousand people saved at Pentecost. Well, that ain't many. Now let's read on. And Peter... They said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, 
when they heard the gospel of Christ preached, and they were Jews, what these men were, go back to chapter 2, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven, because they had been scattered to every nation, because of their apostasy, their tree and sun worship, their Christmas, under another name. I need a thing in my head. I can switch this and say, I want this. I need something like a like a cell phone where I can just say, okay, <laughs> okay, Google, give me okay, the, uh, okay, slideshow. <laughs> <laughs> There's, and they all have to go back and take the message. I don't know why nobody else has discovered this. I've never heard any preacher have understood it. Not even close to it. Have you? I'm talking to Ron. No, I ain't heard him. If you will study the Old Testament in detail, you'll come up with what's right. Now, here's what Peter says. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's Acts 2.38. That is the Church of Christ scripture out of the Bible because they don't have any earthly idea what it means. None. Peter says, Repent to these Jews from every nation under heaven, 3,000 of them, and be baptized. I'm going to say the same thing about Peter I've been saying about Jesus. First of all, baptized don't mean to be dipped in water, whether anybody likes it or not. I thought Jesus was washing water. He was. That was a proselyte process. Completely unnecessary other than to satisfy the Pharisees. That's all it was for. Same reason that Paul circumcised Timothy just to stop the mouths of the Pharisees. I'm not going to go into all that. I've gone into it to a great degree. Just don't have time. So, I'm going to say the same thing about Peter. Peter commanded them to be baptized. Boy, this is something else. Now, remember... 50 days before this, you're at, you're at Pentecost, and you're the day that Jesus resurrected. Remember that? And when he's resurrected, he goes up to northern Galilee, northern Israel. There's the... Is he at No, I'm talking about back at Passover. Back at Passover, after he's resurrected from the dead, he goes up into northern Galilee. He's down here. There's a dead sea. He goes up here, and they're up here somewhere in northern Galilee. And this is after he's resurrected. And two of the women go and say he's resurrected, and they don't believe them because they say women don't count. And that's the way they felt about it. Your vote don't count. So Jesus had to go show up. He had to walk through a wall 
and show up. And they're looking at him, and, and Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless I see it in your hand. He said, here, feel that. And he did. We've got to back up to him going up to Galilee. And he tells them, go into all the world. And preach the gospel. Preach. Gospel. Well, what is he going to preach? The baptism of repentance. The narrow way. Isn't that what they're going to preach? Narrow way. He's going to preach the baptism of repentance, which is the narrow way. That's what he's telling them. He's not saying go dip people in water. Preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them, them, every creature. That means the Gentiles. Baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Now, before Jesus started his ministry, this is after resurrection right here. After resurrection. It's after resurrection. And before he starts his ministry in Matthew 4, John's on the banks of the Jordan River washing people with a proselyte baptism. And he said, I baptize with water. There comes one after me, Jesus, and he will baptize you with Holy Ghost and fire. Now, we don't know what Holy Ghost and fire means, but they knew exactly what it meant. Everybody listening, this was a, I got a gnat trying to run get my attention. All right, this was a, a saying by Zeno. Zeno was one of their most famous philosophers. He was a Stoic. He started Stoicism. And in his Stoicism, he said, all of the universe was cosmos. It was a living, breathing entity. I'm a living, breathing entity. I'm made up of all these cells and all this pulmonary system and my dermis, my epidermis, and my... All the blood and the breathing and all that. Everything it takes to make up my body. And it's the acting entity. He said, Zeno, who started this Stoic philosophy, said all the world, all the universe, the stars and all, was one breathing system. And what gave it life was Numa, which is spirit or ghost, and purr, which is the word fire. So when he said holy pneuma and purr, 
Everybody knew what it was because they had been believing that saying for 300 years since Mr. Zeno died. Now, here's what I want to ask. I want to ask any preacher in the world this. If Jesus said, go to all the world and baptize in Matthew 28, why would Jesus say, go and baptize with John's water baptism and not the one that John told you about that I had? Just somebody give me an answer. Why would he say that in Matthew 28 when he had one of his own? Why would he so dip, dip people in water? He wouldn't say that. And why would Peter 50 days later say repent and be dipped in water? He wouldn't say that either. First of all, all those people there at Pentecost hated Jesus. The Pharisees were the bosses of Jerusalem. The Pharisees and the scribes. They were the rabbis of the Babylonian synagogue and they had come there and they took over and I could go into the halak on all of their twisting of the scriptures right now but I don't have time. It's... So Peter says, baptizing them in. Now here's what's really funny. There's three words for in in the Greek text that's used concerning baptism. There's the word in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. Baptizing them in. In. And then you have Acts two thirty-eight. Repent and be baptized in. And then you have Acts ten forty-eight. Be baptized in. Not one of those words means to dip into and come out of. The first word in is the word ice or ease. We got some bugs up here. Ice. That means to sink into. But it doesn't mean to come out. It has the basic same meaning as Galatians 3.27. As many as you've been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Oh, you're baptized into Christ in water? Put on. In duo. Galatians 3.27. In duo means to sink into clothing. And what is that clothing? Over there in the seventh chapter of Revelation, he's washed us from our sins in his own blood. And what did he say in Ephesians, the fourth chapter? There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And what is that baptism? It's blood, not H2O. If there's, when Paul said that in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, he says there's one baptism. He said that approximately 55 A.D. Jesus died in 30, 
33 A.D., just an approximate, 33 A.D., and when he died, he was nailed to a cross. Now, let me say this slow. When they wanted to do away with one contract and start another, they would take all the contracting parties in public and say to the two witnesses, are you here to validate, invalidate the original contract? They'd say yes. And he'd say to the two original contracting parties, you want to invalidate the contract? They'd say, yes, we do. So they'd take a nail and drive it through the original contract and invalidated everything except the law itself. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. You've got two handwritings, one on tables of stone in the Old Testament, one on fleshy tables of hearts in the New. You can look at the tables of stone in Deuteronomy 9. You're going to fleshy tables of the heart in the third chapter of Second Corinthians, the first few verses. So they blotted out, not the law, the rituals. Blotting out the rituals, the handwriting of rituals. So any baptism that was around before Jesus that was nailed to the cross, they washed their vegetables ritualistically. They washed everything. They washed themselves in ritual. And every ritual was blotted out when Jesus was to the cross. So when Paul said that in Ephesians 4, about 55 A.D., 30 years or so after Jesus was nailed to the cross, there's only one baptism. There were many before he was nailed to the cross, but not anymore. And if there's one baptism as of the fourth chapter of Ephesians, it has to be blood. It has to be Holy Ghost and fire. The Holy Ghost is the truth. And when you tell the truth, that's the gospel, the narrow way, the tribulation way. And that will get you in Dutch with the world. And they want to kill you. So from now on, there's only a... If you don't talk about a blood baptism, you're missing the whole point, aren't you? You can't talk about dipping people in water and everything's fine. I've never heard anybody, most everybody I've ever known, dipped in water. I heard John MacArthur on the radio one day, years ago, said, if we baptize people the way we should, and he was having a baptismal service on radio. I don't know why. He said, if we baptize people the way we should, would put them under the water and we wouldn't let them up. Thank you, John. Now, why don't you do that? Or why don't you baptize them in blood and tell them a blood baptism was a martyrdom or death? When Jesus said to James and John, can you be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Can you die the death? I'm going to die tomorrow. They said, yes. And he said, both of you will die the martyr's death. What's really amazing about that? Jesus said James and John were going to die the martyr's death. In the Bible, didn't he say that? In the 10th chapter of Mark. Well, John is exiled on Patmos, and he's boiled in oil, and all the scholars said they can't tell whether he was ever martyred or not. Jesus said he was. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus said, you will die the martyr's death. You will be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. 
and you will drink the cup that I drink of. He's talking about dying the next day. So Jesus said, the beloved John, the beloved, died a martyr. And most every scholar will say, we don't know what happened to him. Well, why don't we believe Jesus rather than these great scholars around? Sometimes you can prove the Bible is true just by reading the Bible, can't you? <laughs> these guys are funny. I'm about to run out of time. So, I'll have to come back. When Peter said, repent and be baptized... Jesus said, repent and be baptized in the name. The word name is the word onoma. It means authority. Onoma means authority. That's name. God's authority is his word. Thy word is truth. The Holy Spirit's truth. It's the truth. It's the Holy Spirit. Be baptized. What Peter's telling them, be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Truth. And when Peter commanded them to be baptized in, that word he used in Acts 2.38, that word is epi. I was going to go through a bunch of these words, east and epi, in the Bible. Epi is a real common prefix on words. You got it all through. I'll, I'll go into some of that later. It means covering with the name with God's authority. Why would, how could they all be dipped in water? 3,000 of them. Do you actually think, I like what Dale said about this baptizing in water. James Dale said, those Pharisees hated these people, hated Jesus. When you get into the next chapter, chapter 3, and James and John are preaching in the name of Jesus, and the Pharisees threaten them and say, we're going to beat you if you don't quit preaching this name. Now, why would they turn over their public water works, let 3,000 people be dipped in their public water works? They wouldn't, would they? Besides that, the nearest water was about 20 miles away at the Jordan River. And how many people are going to be treading off up through the wilderness up there? to get to the Jordan to be dipped in water. That's just not true. I don't know if anybody takes a stand against baptism, water baptism like I do. And I have to go into proselyte baptism, which was in water, which was a naturalization process for Gentiles coming to Israel to become a member of the kingdom of God, which was water, and that was part of their alaka. Don't have time to go there. I'm about out of time. So when he tells them, repent, be baptized, and you receive for the remission of sin. Remember the word remission, aphesis? It's the same word as forgiveness. Forgiveness. It means to pardon and release from prison. Pardon. That's what forgiveness means. And prison was the division of dead, night, and light, and darkness. And they're going to take the light back to the Gentiles all over the world. I've never seen this map anywhere except in the Compendia. I don't care how many vote against me. I know the world is voting against me, and it makes me extremely depressed, and I can't get over it. Because I preach truth constantly out in the streets to people, and... 
people sometimes will be very, very apparently kind, but they're not. And then they walk away and I don't ever hear from them again. Oh, that's really interesting, Jim. That's really good. Uh, uh, mm, mm, mm. I just want to kick them in the shin and watch them dance. I really feel like that. Don't don't agree with me if you don't like this. Just say, I don't like what you're saying. I would appreciate that more. Gosh. Then you've got... Do I have any time? No. Huh? No. I'll come back next week and go through this last word in. It's not either one of these. And it don't mean to dip into and come out of. Boy, we... You know what we got in America? A mess. I've been thinking about having me a t-shirt made to say that America is crazy. And they are. They are possessed with devils. Look that up in in McClinican Strong. It says insane. And that's what was wrong with that man in Luke 8. He was possessed with devils. He was insane. But he came to his right mind. His sane mind. I believe America is at the jumping off place. I believe they're crazy. Me and Mary stopped at a mattress place yesterday and this woman said, Boy, these preachers ain't preaching nothing, are they? I said, yeah, That's exactly right. Nothing. I'm tired of them. I'm tired of people not dealing with baptism. I've never heard anybody talk about the laws of the Pharisees, the Halakha, the Haggadah. Nobody. Read it out of books. And you can get the literature of the sages and it'll tell you all about it. Get the McClinican Strong and look up Talmud in the back. And it's got a thick area about the Talmud. It'll say Halakha, Haggadah, the verbal law. The, go through the whole thing. We got the information. People are lazy. I'm out of time. We'll come back next week. And we'll resume here. We're still at Pentecost here, aren't we? Hadn't left Pentecost. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, help us. Help me to be strong for the church. Help me to be strong for this family of believers all over the country. I pray these folks will Continue to support your ministry. Be behind it, Lord, so we can keep getting this word out. I feel like something's got to happen before long. <clears throat> Fight our battles, and Lord, above everything, cause us to be content with our situation. Not stressing out over anything, just believing you're doing all of this. In Christ's name we pray, man. I hope y'all can see what this second chapter is about. What you doing, little guy? You love Papa? Mm-hmm.